Well, dear church family, we continue our Bible study in the life of Joseph. We're now on our 18th study in the series, if you're counting. Last time we thought about uh, Joseph's nationalizing. Remember that? Joseph's nationalizing of Egypt and Pharaoh's prospering as a direct result thereof. And we, we thought really that, that when the righteous are in control, in government, how the people flourish don't they, under God's good government. And we also thought after a long time of affliction and sorrow and disappointment and heartache, God's people finally were brought into a great season of fruitfulness and a great season of joy and blessing and happiness. And finally, we saw Jacob's faith really in the latter part of his life and the dawning of his life, we saw how his faith was just blooming. We, we saw how it came into its full luster, really, as he desired to be buried in the land of promise by faith. Now, in today's chapter, in Genesis 48, we see the second great act of faith, which I touched on last week, which Jacob performed before he closed out his life and was taken into glory which we read earlier in Hebrews 11, and the significance of this. Let's just remind ourselves of that. Hebrews 11:21. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Again, from the, from the surface of it, it doesn't seem that special, does it? Uh, looking at the surface of, of it doesn't seem that special uh, compared to all the other great heroes of the faith, as I mentioned earlier, of Abraham and, and of uh, Daniel and of all the great heroes of the faith. It, it seems uh, less it's significant, doesn't it? But again, that would be, that would be a, a temptation to think that it was less significant um, and which I'm, I'm hoping we will see later on. But to begin with, in Genesis 48, verse 1, we see that Joseph is informed of his father's sickness. Jacob is dying. He's 130 years old now, the aged patriarch, and he is coming to the dawn of his life. And Joseph, of course, loves his beloved father. And as every good Christian uh, child should do, should look, seek to look after their children their parents in their in their and uh, in their need in their dying years, as it were. And Joseph is such, isn't he? And he takes his two sons, doesn't he? Manasseh, the eldest, and Ephraim, the youngest. There is still something weighing very heavy upon Jacob's heart here, isn't there? There's something weighing very heavy upon uh, sorry Joseph's heart here. He takes both of his sons. In verse 2, Jacob hears of Joseph's coming. And in verse 2, it says that Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. Israel strengthened himself. Jacob, Israel is dying. He's coming to the dawn of his life. He hears that his son, Joseph, is coming, his beloved son, and he's bringing his, his, his children with him. And he strengthens himself as it were, in the Lord to perform these, these last final great acts of faith. He stirs himself up, as it were, to still 
continue to do God's will. As it were. He's using the last drops of his strength and his faith to do good, as it were. And it's a great lesson for us, isn't it? Israel's heart here is full of thankfulness and joy and covenantal blessings. He's thinking of, of the promises of God. Here we have, dear friends and brethren, a great reminder of how to live in the dawning of our years, in our senior years. It's a great example, isn't it? A great example of faith. In our old age, your, your sight can be failing like Jacob's sight was failing. Your hearing can be going. Your body can start to be, become full of pains. Because of the fall, naturally, things start breaking down for both the Christian and the, the person who's not a Christian. This happens to all of us. And it would be easy to grow a little embittered and perhaps a little self-sorrowing. This is understandable, isn't it? Because uh, it can be uncomfortable. Old age is not always beautiful. It's not always easy. Often in our society in particular, the very shallow materialistic society we live in, the, the elderly are often forgotten about and thrown into care homes uh, and forgotten about. So it can be difficult. And they can still in terms of believers, it can still be many things unanswered that we desire to the Lord to answer in our lives concerning loved ones, concerning grandchildren, concerning those upon our hearts. Yet Jacob here, by faith, amazingly rises above all these things by God's grace. He strengthens himself in the Lord. He, he, he finds strength in the Lord here. His faith in the Lord and in the Lord's promises is supercharged at this point. His eyesight is going, his hearing is failing, but here is a spiritual eyesight here in Israel, in Jacob. His spiritual eyesight is flourishing. He sees, he sees God's covenanted promises afar off as it were, by faith, like our brother was praying, not looking at the physical, but looking at the spiritual, looking at the, the word, the sure prophecy of, of the word by faith. His spiritual hearing is steadfast, isn't it? Uh, holding to the promises and the words of God, holding to what his father Isaac told him and, and what he had been taught by the patriarchs. Jacob now is brimming with thankfulness and joy in the Lord. The, ne the negativity had gone. The self-pitying spirit had gone. The all things are against me attitude. <laughs> all these things are against me. That's gone now, isn't it? It's out the window. The Lord had preserved the best old wine in Jacob to last, didn't he? The best old wine of faith. And it reminds me of Isaiah 46.4 and Isaiah 40.31. And even to your old age I am he, and even to your hoary hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry you and deliver you. What a wonderful text for believers. The, the, the Lord who, who sustains us, who saves us, who gives us the gift of repentance and faith, who delivers us from all of our enemies. He sees us right into the end, right into glory, right into the, to, our, to our closing of our lives. 
And Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is Jacob, isn't it? Jacob has risen to great heights here of faith. In his senior years, he now reminisces, really. He's reminiscing on God's goodness to him. We see in verses 15 and 16, he, he reminisces of God's protecting of him and God's mercies and, and God's preventing of so many evils that could have befell him. You know, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there are so many evils which God prevents us with. You know, the evils that we do befall that will sometimes happen in our lives, well, think about Think about the less, those are lesser evils. Think about, think about, dear friends, if God did not have his hand upon you, the, 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 if your feet would have slipped and, and greater evils would have befalled you. Think of that. It's, it's, God keeps his people, dear friends, and the things that, that do befall, befall us always, always work for the Christian's good, don't they? And so here, Jacob, Israel, He's reminiscing of God's goodness to him. He speaks to Joseph in this respect in verses 3 and 4. He speaks of God Almighty, Shaddai's appearing of him at Luz, at Bethel, and how the Lord blessed him and promised to make him fruitful and to multiply him into a nation and to give him his seed in the land to give his seed the land of promise forever. And he's reminiscing. Jacob is a thankful man because God always keeps his promises. And here we see that Jacob is now leading again. He's now leading again. There were times in the past where Jacob did not warn enough. There were times in the past where Jacob did not instruct enough and lead enough. But now by faith, Jacob is leading again. And, and to Joseph's relief, Jacob now strengthens himself, stirs himself up, as it were, in the Lord, uses the last few drops of strength to perform that second great act of faith that we read it, we read in Hebrews 11, and which we read of in verse 5 and 6. Jacob says to Joseph, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. What a statement. <laughs> Your children, they belong to me. <laughs> Any other person, <laughs> you can imagine the reaction. Verse 6 says, and, and thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. Thy children are mine, Joseph. Jacob amazingly here formally adopts Joseph's children into the family of Israel, into his family. He adopts them. That's what he's doing. He doesn't want them to be pharaohs. He doesn't want them to be Egyptians. He wants them to be Israelites. He wants them to put their faith and trust in the God of Israel, in the God of Abraham. This is amazing. He formally adopts Ephraim and Manasseh into the family 
of Israel, they too will become part of the promised, the promises of God and the inheritance of Israel. They too would become great tribes in Israel by faith. You see, he's seeing afar off God's promises. What great faith and spiritual foresight and vision we see here from the patriarch. Now, this was not only a formal process that Jacob, Israel, was doing here. It was a legal one. Because it says in 1 Chronicles 15.1, in this respect, that Reuben's birthright was given to the sons, it says, to the sons of Joseph. This was not only formal, this was legal. This was a legal contract going on here that Jacob was legally adopting both Manasseh and Ephraim into their mind. They belong to me now. And legally, they are Israelites now. Legally, the promises of God are true concerning them as well. Every single one of them are true concerning them. Jacob, you see, has this great grandfatherly passion and zeal that his grandchildren would walk in the ways of the Lord and not it, it, with their hearts towards the sophisticated Egyptian culture as it were and put their, their, their trust in, in materials and the things of this world. Jacob adopts Joseph's children, friends. It's, it's, it's extraordinary if we think about it. He says they are mine just as Reuben and Simeon were mine. And, and this, we see the gospel here, don't we? We see a wonderful picture of the gospel. How that we, friends who were Egyptians by birth, born in sin, in spiritual darkness, as it were. In, in sin, my mother conceived me. My mother was a spiritual Egyptian, as it were. She was a sinner, a rebel sinner from God. And now we've been, by, through Christ, we've been adopted through the greater Jacob, We've been adopted into his family, haven't we? A picture here of the, go- the gospel, the gospel of grace, uh, of God's adopting us into his family like the Gentiles were. And yes, they were born in Egypt. Yes, to an Egyptian, but they will not be Egyptians. They will be Israelites now. Jacob's faith has a vision that Joseph's sons would put all their faith and trust in the Lord God of Abraham and of Israel. He desires that they would seek the promises and blessings of the Lord and not give their hearts to the, to the affluent culture and the sophisticated Egyptian culture. And how Joseph's heart must have rejoiced at these words, they're mine, they belong to me. He must have rejoiced Surely these things were at the back of Joseph's mind for many years that he had somehow been cut off from the promises of God, especially his children. And we see here no complaint from Joseph. He wants his children to be Joseph. He's, he's, he wants them to be adopted into his family. He would rather despise, he would rather be with the despised shepherds of God's people and to suffer for a season with God's people and to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt, like Moses did. Joseph did not want his children to be Pharaohs. He wanted them to belong to the God of Israel. What faith is this, friends, to, to swap all the riches and vanities of Egypt, as it were, to dwell with the, the abominable shepherds and people of God's people. 
Joseph is far more concerned that his sons would be received by the God of Israel than by the Egyptian culture. And friends, how we need to pray for this in our society now. Cultural pragmatism has taken over. Sadly, in many Christians' lives, it's it's completely taken over. You hear people of, oh, my son or my daughter's going to this university, they're going to Oxford Brooks, or they're going to this place, and they've got all these things. I don't, what does that matter? They're not going to take all these honors and all these, this prestige with them. What about, what about their souls? Are they seeking the Lord? Do they love the Lord, the God of Israel? Who cares for these, these things? And not that, that you know, these things are wrong, but, but are they seeking the Lord? Do they love the Lord? Have you got a heart and mind to nurture them in the ways of the Lord? Cultural pragmatism has taken over. Shortcuts. Jacob is 130 years old at this point, yet we see present strength in seeming weakness. Present strength in seeming weakness. Spiritual strength. He strengthens himself here in the Lord to to perform this this great act of faith. He's, He's sick, he's dying, and yet he uses every ounce of strength he's got left to do God's work, as it were. God can give you strength in your senior years to speak to the next generation, to speak to to, to children, to speak to your children's children. Grandparents, dear friends, can have a a great influence upon the younger generation, upon upon their children and their children's children. To live as a Christian senior is not only to be thankful to the Lord for past mercies, you know, some people speak of the good old days. But it's also to seek God's strength for the present, like Jacob did. To, you know, we, we sometimes hear in secular circles, when people retire to potter around the garden and to, to, to you know, go play golf every day and, and tra- I want to travel the world when I retire and all these things. But not here with God, so with God's people. No, Israel here used what little strength he had left, didn't he? Stirred up the gift within him to serve God, to use that last bit of ounce of, of uh, strength for, to seek God's will in this respect. And Matthew Henry, the commentator, the commentator says in this respect, Jacob will have Ephraim and Manasseh to believe that it is better to be low and in the church than high out of it. Upon the adopting of Joseph's children, Jacob brings to remembrance, of course, his dear wife. He's dying now. And he mentions his dear wife to, and Joseph's mother in verse 7, as to affectionately encourage Joseph in, in the way of faith and to encourage Joseph, uh, Joseph in the way of duty. Remember, Joseph made a promise concerning his burial. In verses 8 through 20, we see Jacob's blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh. Let me just read that once again, just to remind us. Genesis uh, 48, 8 through 20. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Whose are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. 
And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, and so that he, he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's hand. He crossed his hands and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly. That's important, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son. I know it. He also shall become a, a, a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And, and he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And so what are we to make of this? Jacob here blesses Joseph's children and leaves behind here a wonderful legacy of God's grace to them. He is full here of faith full of covenantal blessings. He's thinking of the promises of God. He sees by faith Joseph's sons in the promised land. It was as, as if he could, could see them in his mind's eye in that promised land, God giving it to them. He could see them eating the grapes, serving the Lord as it were. This, this is a, a, a fruitful ending for Israel. It's, it's a happy ending still bearing forth fruit in his old age. Still the leaf as it were uh, still green in the winter of his life. And this, friends, is the way for believers to live and to die. In, in blessing Joseph's sons, Jacob breaks tradition deliberately. He breaks tradition deliberately, knowingly, willingly. He, he puts his right hand on, on the youngest, Ephraim's head, although Joseph wanted him to put it on Manasseh's head, Joseph specifically put Manasseh at his right hand, but he puts his hand across over to Ephraim's head. And likewise, and, and this clearly displeases Joseph, doesn't it? Clearly. Of course, we see the irony in this, don't we? Because Jacob deceived Isaac in this respect, and he paid for it, didn't he? In hard labor. 
And Manasseh, as far as we know, wasn't an Esau. He wasn't a troublemaker. He was brought up by Joseph, and no doubt, in the fear of the Lord. We have no stain upon, the scriptures doesn't tell us of any stain upon Manasseh's character. Um, For we know he was a godly young man. Uh, And so he should have received the, 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 the blessing. And so why did Israel do this knowingly? Why break to tradition? Why cross hands? Why make, why make an argument? <laughs> why the younger before the elder? Well, surely, friends and beloved, it is to tell us that God's ways are not man's ways. That's what it teaches us this evening. God's ways are not man's ways. You see, man would often choose the elder, the stronger, but not so with God. God chooses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. You see, the cross-handed theology here, I heard one commentator say, a cross-handed theology speaks of God's sovereign grace that humbles human wisdom and intellect and pride. It exalts the unlikely. It exalts the underdog, the despised. It exalts the the publican over the the Pharisee. It exalts, dear friends, the the debased, the, 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 the things which are despised in our society. The last are often first, the first are often last. Abel was chosen instead of Cain. The older. Isaac was chosen over Ishmael. Jacob, even in his mother's womb, (laughs) by God's grace, fought, didn't he? His way out over the elder Esau. Joseph was chosen over Reuben. And now Ephraim. Now Ephraim over Manasseh. God, almighty God here is saying... That heavenly blessings do not come by the will of man, by the intellect of man or the talents of the man, but by the sovereign will of God. That's what, that's what is here, teaching us by this. It doesn't matter if you're older and younger here, that doesn't matter. What matters if you will humble yourself and think nothing of your outward strength, of your age? <laughs> we had a, 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 a joke where we, we, we had some boys once that came around a house and the, the elder, he was, he was a tall, older boy. He was the eldest once and he said, well, they may be getting all these things bigger than me or what, I can't remember what it was, but I'll always be the, old, the tallest. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. And he, he was proud of that fact. <laughs> He'd always be the tallest. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how tall you are, how big you are, your stature. You see that the, 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 this world looks upon the outward, doesn't it? It looks upon the stature, it looks upon the intellect, the, 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 the vanities of this world. But God, that means nothing to the Lord God. It says, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God have chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God have chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised have God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory 
in his presence, 1 Corinthians 1, no flesh to glory in the presence of God. He will have all the praise and all the glory and all the dominion. It's all his, no flesh. God looks upon the heart and not the stature. He looks on the inward and not the outward. This poor man, cried the psalmist, cried unto the Lord and the Lord heard him. This poor man, I'm poor. Do we we see ourselves like that? I'm a poor man. I bring nothing. I I, I bring no no, no cards to the table of of God's salvation. I'm a poor, wretched, hell-deserving sinner. That's what God's word is teaching us by this. God's sovereign grace cannot be boxed, dear friends. It cannot be controlled. It cannot be limited by the pride of man. God's grace casts casts out and down anything that exalts itself over the knowledge of God. It has no limits. It cannot be tamed. It humbles us to the dust, doesn't it? And the more we... uh, the more we, we walk with the Lord and we understand these truths, the more we, we are humbled. The more we understand the doctrines of grace that is all of, of the Lord, it humbles us, doesn't it? It truly does. Because what, what, what differs us, the Apostle Paul says, what differs you one from another? What, what's the difference? What's the difference from me and, a, and an Islamic terrorist? Only but the grace of God. It's a humbling, it's a humbling, isn't it? I heard one preacher once, once say, well, God looks at the character of someone. He looks within at the character of the, what will be there. That's, that's a, not true. He doesn't see anything within us that is worthy of salvation. He sees it's, it's love, pure love. And, and when you experience salvation, you experience pure love, unbound love. God's sovereign grace cannot be boxed, friends, or limited. It exalts, as it were, the the ant over the elephant. The the, the sad donkey, the foal, as it were, over the war horse and and the chariot of war. The spider that makes its way, as it says in the Proverbs, into the king's chamber. (laughs) And yet the battering ram and the, and the, the sieging army cannot make its way into the king's chamber. It exalts all these things, doesn't it? God's sovereign grace never ceases to surprise us. It's a mystery, it's a, it's a gift. And God will have mercy and not sacrifice. Thy will be done on earth and in heaven. So all about his will. That's what Jacob is seeking here. <laughs> it's not about Jacob. It's, he's not got a bean as bonnet. Yeah, you see some commentator, oh, he shouldn't be, he's, he's in his old prejudice coming up again. Some commentator, he hasn't got a bean in his bonnet, he's not grinding upon an axe here. He, he is seeking to do God's will, he's being moved by the Spirit to do this. This is what makes the gospel so wonderful, so powerful, so unique. God's cross handed theology, friends, excludes no one. Anyone who desires to be saved God's way. Truly seek the Lord by his finished work and his merits alone, looking to nothing of themselves, their family, their background, their intellect, their talents, nothing but by the grace of God, the Lord promises they'll be saved. If you look to the Lord, you cast all those things to the dust, all the honours of this world to the dust, and you look to him, he promises 
he will save. And this cross-handed theology, <laughs> that's a new term I've learned, learned, this cross-handed theology, friends, is unchangeably true, isn't it? It's always been true from the first book of Genesis right through to the to the end. It's unchangeably true. Noah found favor in the sight of God. Abraham was a pagan. He was taken. And so it's true. We see it right throughout. And it's wonderful, isn't it? It's not an open. It's, 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 a, it's a cross-handed theology. It's not an open theology. It's not an experimental theology. We could just make up these things. No, God's word is unchangeable. We can absolutely depend upon these truths here. No one is beyond the pale. No one is too vile and wretched a sinner to be converted. There's room for every Ephraim, for every weaker, for every weaker man, woman and child, dear friends, who looks to the Lord, they can be saved. For every base sinner who truly turns from their sin and from themselves and looks to Christ outside of the world, outside outside of this world to him for strength can be saved no doubt we see the cross we see the sovereignty here in all this but we see the cross don't we we see the cross this 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 cross is god's cross-handed theology here as well and i say this with reverence as jacob laid his his hands upon uh, upon the, the the weaker to give the blessing to the to the weaker to ephraim as it were, God the Father, in a sense, lays his hands, he lays his hand upon his Son, and the right hand upon us, the weaker, the defiled, the, the one who falls short of the glory of God, the lawbreaker. In the world's eye, we're, we're nothing. And yet, dear friends, that is imputed to us, the blessing, isn't it? God gives us the blessing. We're, we're like the sheep goats, aren't we? Christ was punished for us so that we can inherit the blessing. We can have this inheritance, this heavenly Canaan. What a wonderful picture here. Scripture paints, doesn't it? And are we not tempted to say, say, no, Lord, I am not worthy of such a blessing. Joseph's Joseph saying, don't do this, Father. Give the blessing to, give the blessing to, 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 to Manasseh. Don't make the same mistakes as you did before. But you see, he says, I know it, son. I know what I'm doing this time. I know that I'm being guided by the Spirit. I'm full of faith here. And, and, and we could feel like that, can't we? We could feel like, why me, Lord? That there are Manassas. There are people who live in such better lives than I live. It's people who are so much more worthy. Why me? I'm, I'm just an Ephraim. I, I'm weak. I'm vile. I'm a, I'm a hell-deserving sinner. I can say like Peter, depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I, I don't deserve to know you, Lord. I'm like the thief upon the cross. Rem, remember me, Lord. I don't deserve your salvation. I'm weak. I, I, I cannot stir myself up to seek thee. I cannot stir myself up to keep your law. I, I'm weak. I'm unable. And we can be like that, can't we, friends? But yet there is room, dear friends, here for even poor, trembling sinners like you and me who see our weakness and see our frailty, as it were, and trust in the Lord for our strength to to stir up, as it were, ourselves in the Lord 
and in his strength and in his blessings. And so we see this cross-handed theology. It also speaks it speaks of God's sovereignty, it speaks of the cross, but it also speaks of our willing submission to the gospel of grace. It speaks of submission, doesn't it? Joseph tried to change the mind of his father, but there's no changing this time, friends, because this is God's will, isn't it? And it shows us that, that we submit to God's will, don't we, for our lives. It can sometimes take us a lifetime, <laughs> it really can, for us to understand this, to submit to God's will. It cannot be, e- it's not, it's not, these battles are not, not easily won. Like Joseph and Jacob, let us submit to God's will, his ways, his word, his sovereignty for our lives, despite what may befall us. And if you're in Christ tonight, dear friends, it's God's will that he will never ever take away that hand of blessing to you. Like, like, like Jacob, no, 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 I'm not taking that hand of blessing away. If you're in Christ and you're trusting in him and his merits alone, I'll tell you now that that, that hand is not moving from your head. <laughs> you're, you're a blessed person. You're, you're a fruitful person. Your, your home is in heaven. What a wonderful truth this is, isn't it? He will never, he will never uncross his hands, dear friends. You're his. And no wonder why Hebrews eleven twenty one says, By faith, by faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both sons of Joseph and worshipped, worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Do you see the context now? The beautiful context here. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's marvellous in our eyes when we see it and that we can uh, apply these truths to our hearts. And we see the great significance of this. Now, I'm tempted to go on the last two verses, but there's so much in these last two verses, which I think I'm going to close this evening um, and probably actually because there's quite an evangelistic appeal in the last few verses about Joseph, uh, Jacob dying. So I think I'm going to leave it this evening and we can carry on on the Lord's Day with, the, uh, with the, the next study. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com That's grace2seekers at gmail.com Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk